Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Hi, everyone. Hi, Father. That's okay. That's <laughs> apparently a Midwest thing. Okay. Well, it's good to see all of you. I uh, was on my way here and thinking about Washington, D.C. and thinking about all of you and just noticing that, boy, I was kind of like just a little intimidated by the whole thing. And I realized the main reason was when I was applying for colleges, uh, when I was like a senior in high school, I wouldn't even have been close to having the grades to even think about applying to CUA. All right, so it wasn't like, oh, I could have applied. I wouldn't even, there weren't even four numbers on my SAT. It wasn't a great time in my life, right? So I was like, I'm like, oh, great. I'm meeting people who are much studious than I was, East Coast, all these things. So I was kind of processing all that. And then I remembered 10 years ago, I lived in D.C. for a year. I took a year off from the seminary because I wanted to get some more healing in my life before I became a priest. And I lived right by where the Franciscans of the Holy Land are, kind of right off Quincy Street, kind of up that hill. I was at a monastery over there called Holy Cross Monastery. It's a failed monastery. It's just one abbot, and he rents out rooms to people who are doing graduate studies and weird seminarians from Cleveland. So that was it. I was there, and this place has changed a lot. All right, some of the Capuchin brothers, particularly Father Brian, can let you know, this was a very dangerous neighborhood. Okay, like it's kind of cool now and a touch bougie in a few neighborhoods even, like around here. But before that, it wasn't. Here's how you know. The month before I got here, there was a restaurant that shut down. Oh, it probably shut down, not enough people going. No, people went. Oh, maybe health violations. Uh, Not exactly. They found dead bodies in the freezer. Father Brian, am I lying? Nope, thank you. Yeah, you got to trust a capuchin. Great. So... So that was, I knew that had happened, and then there was a few muggings and things like this. So I go into the city to have dinner with some friends, and I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, yes, but just south of Cleveland, I'm in a small town, it's called Hudson, where a very, there's a clock tower and a gazebo. We're very quaint. The biggest crime is some high schooler egging a car. All right, so that's kind of where I'm from. All right, so I'm in a big city now. I know there's murders and f- dead, murdered dead bodies and freezers in D.C. And I heard there's muggings going on. I get off the red line and I'm walking and I'm realizing, oh, it's late at night. This is when bad things happen. My grandma said nothing good happens after midnight. So I thought, okay. And I realized. Well, I'm not in a good place right now. This is dangerous. So I'm walking down Quincy Street, which is that main street over there, right? So I'm walking down, and I see two guys in the distance walking towards me, two blocks away. And in my mind, they're going to hurt me, all right? So I tried to do the thing that at the time, because I was afraid, seemed the most rational. I had a button-down shirt on because it was a nice dinner, all right? I I unbuttoned the shirt, and I took a side out and then buttoned it two buttons off. And I flipped up half the collar, and I started walking in the middle of the street, singing random prayers out loud, pretending like I was a crazy person, because I thought crazy people don't hurt crazy people. Like, they're going to be afraid of me. When I got closer, I realized it was like a husband and wife, and they were just out for a nighttime stroll. So my point is, I'm not saying it works all the time, but if you're ever nervous, 
just look crazy, right? And uh, it might help. That said, when we're scared, we do weird things. Like I was afraid of getting mugged, but sometimes we're afraid that is this person, if they find something out about me, are they going to love me still? Are my friends my friends because I do, I'm the funny guy, or because I'm always sweet and helpful, or do they actually like me or just the role I play in their lives? That level of fear is really powerful, and it can determine a lot of things, and over time it can define a lot of things. And when it gets at that level, that's when it can get destructive for you and me. Is because then out of fear, we can become overly clingy to people, to friends, or we can be cold and standoffish because we're afraid of any sort of relationship, friendship, intimacy, etc. But when fear is active, usually we're not acting at our best. And I know, because I'm very excited about it, the fact that I can see faces. I don't know what the correct term is. COVID's over, it's not, it kind of, either way, it looks over to me because I can see lips. And for about three years, I filled in this part of people's faces. And oftentimes I was wrong. I thought the bottom of their face looked. Oftentimes, I thought I did a much better job. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But you had the experience too. Otherwise, you wouldn't have left. Okay. But for three, about two and a half years, it was weird being human. Whether you were on the side that COVID was the worst thing that ever happened in the world and you lost loved ones, or you think COVID wasn't even a thing and why did we have to go through all of this? It was a strange time because there was masks, isolation, and then for all of you, the majority of you, you lost out on really milestone things. Like, I guarantee there was at least five things you looked forward to over the last few years that got canceled right towards the end. And it's really hard in the human heart to sustain hope and desire and then experience disappointment and letdown. Eventually, just to cope, we just say, I'm not going to want that much out of life. I'll just play it cool. And we become the meh people. How you doing? Meh. Is life awesome? Meh. You loving school? because to want, to care, to desire, it's really hard. And what's amazing is we're kind of out of COVID, right? So we're out of it now, and we're like, oh, good. We can go into restaurants. We can see people's faces. We're at school, in person. Some of you might have even done school only online, your first year of college, whatever. But what we aren't realizing is it took a toll on us. And you and I during these last few years, we're taught a message about what it means to be human, not always explicitly, but implicitly, that leads us to further fear, loneliness, and a meh with life. So here's what I mean. We did a really good job, because we're human beings and we're smart, at keeping biological health fairly high. So any of you in philosophy classes here are uh, learning you know, ancient Greek, I'm sure you were hoping to hear all of it tonight, so in that case, you're welcome. Uh, but when the Greeks talked about life, they talked about three kinds for human beings. Bios, which is your biology, right, your physical health, we could say simply. 
your psyche, which is your psychological health, emotions, thought patterns, etc. And then there was a weird one called Zoe. Zoe life was known as spiritual life. But see, for us in America in 2022, spiritual life can sound New Agey and Buddhist to us. We think some other world, or maybe that 45 minutes when you're doing yoga, and you're like, okay, I'm just perfectly centered now. And now I have, I'm in touch with being, and I am one with being. But what Zoe really means is the deepest desires of the heart. So we did a great job with biological health. We kept people pretty physically safe for the most part. But we began to realize that there's more to you than your biological health. How do we know that? Well, because for the fifth year in a row, deaths of despair have increased. Deaths of despair come from Princeton University, that phrase. And deaths of despair are those that are involving overdose, suicides, etc. Things like that. Addictions that lead to death. Those are deaths of despair. And they went on the rise first time ever for five years in a row now. So we know that, okay, I might be able to be biological healthy, but if I don't know if I'm loved, I'm good, and I have a future of hope, what's the point? We also saw a huge increase of alcohol sales, record high pornography usage, and that wasn't necessarily like on a low to begin with, if you didn't know, all right? And maybe the most alarming one, a huge amount of fireworks sales. I'm just kidding, that's not the most alarming, but I do love fireworks, and I was kind of happy about that one. But what we see is people weren't doing well in isolation. People weren't doing well with the basic message, you're dangerous or your friends and family members are dangerous, so don't go near them. And even if you didn't believe in it, you still had to live by it because everywhere had a rule. And so it was over and over again longing for a kind of life that we couldn't experience. And this bios became the sole focus and we lost the whole reason why we want to be alive to begin with. Now, they're not at war with each other. They're meant to go together. Here's an analogy that can help. Raise your hand if you have any baseball players out here. Anyone baseball ever in your life? No one's ever played baseball here. Okay, good. I was like, wow, it's weird that they only accept people at CU don't play baseball. Okay, good. If you get a baseball mitt, but you don't play the game of baseball, it becomes like a, a potholder. And it's a clumsy one at that. It's playing the game is why you have the mitt. Similarly, bios life is the baseball mitt. So you can play the game of zoe life. Without being alive, you can't even know if it's good to be alive. Because you would be dead. So being alive is good, but then we have to enter into what's life all about. So here's a question for you. This is more like, a, it's not like question and answer time yet, but it's like just for you to think about in case you're zealous and you're going to shout something out. What happens to us when a great night out with your friends ends? Right? Every time you've been out with your friends, that night ends. That's how that works. <laughs> and yet, isn't there a part of you when it's a really awesome night out, you're like, oh, let's just do one more round, one more round. Or can, let's just hang out for like 30 minutes more. 
or at least if you don't want to say it because you don't want to sound like really like giddy and young, you're just like, yeah, no, that's cool. I get it. Yeah, all right, cool. Or you're very like stoic and stern, like, well, I have a test in the morning. Of course we have to end. I told you at midnight, it's midnight. That's that. Like, all right, weird guy. (laughs) Or how about why is it that we hate being lied to? What is it that says, I hate being lied to, that when I lied to, I get mad? Or why is it that so many people get animated and flare up when they see something they perceive to be an injustice? What is that in us? It's your heart. It's the place in you that makes you human. Your longings, your dreams, your needs, those deep vibrations in us for a kind of life that we can't always describe, but we know we're looking for, that's what makes you human. Your mom and dad didn't put that in you. And everyone in the world has it. It may look different because of cultures, but it's the same place. Isn't it weird to think, we have about 300-some people here tonight, isn't it weird to think not one person in here woke up today saying, I hope I'm ignored, never talked to, and treated poorly. Every one of you, it's kind of weird to think about because it gets a little vulnerable and kind of feel a little exposing, but each one of you here really desires, as St. Augustine put it, to be seen, known, and loved. Like, we don't want to just be one of the crowd, we want to be the one. We want to be seen as unique unrepeatable and good. We want someone to know us and love us, and yet our big fears, back to the fears, is that someone's going to see us, know us, and then not love us. And so then cue all the posturing. Maybe you're the knowledge person, so when you get nervous, you just quote a bunch of things. You have all the right answers. Maybe you're the helper, so when you get nervous, you're just like, all right, I'll just hang out and help out. What do you guys need? I'm here for you, whatever you need. Maybe you're the overly religious one, when you get nervous, you're like, I'll just pray for you guys and I'm just going to adoration today because I'm Catholic and it makes you feel comfortable. I hope you're okay. <laughs> or maybe this vulnerable place in you needing love, seeking life to the full, maybe it's been hurt a lot. Like the last three years, hope I get to go to homecoming with that girl because I think she's a babe. Those of you whose mouth are open, either you had weird priests in your life or you don't know enough of them. Okay. (laughs) Like, that, oh, I couldn't go? I really, really wanted to ask Susie. (laughs) Any Susies out here? (laughs) Okay, good. That's nice. nice. (laughs) Would have been really weird. And I couldn't do it because we just, homecoming got canceled. Or I was really looking forward to a birthday party with my family because I feel special because my family does a really good job at celebrating birthdays and they make you feel special and seen and known and honored and it's a great time. It's part of our family traditions and grandma and grandpa can't come. And we're not going to invite the cousins this year because they're a little nervous because Aunt Susie's a little, you know, they'll just be us. It'll still be nice. 
And then you're forced to be like, yeah, no, no, it's really nice. I'm just grateful that, you know, we could have something rather than nothing. There's kids in Africa, so, yeah. Great crowd, great table up here. <laughs> do, do you see how our hearts can get hurt? Or I don't know, it's only, been, you guys have been in school about a month now, right? About that? Not even. Right, right at cutting edge, okay. I was a jazz musician and I was a professional comedian. So, and I've been doing college ministry uh, off and on for about 10 years with young adults. So I'm not naive to... Maybe you took the fear and anxiety of a new year, really wanting friends, and you already did things you thought you weren't going to do this year. And we can call it sin, of course, if we're in a religious context, but can we see it a little bit deeper as, I know it didn't give me what I was looking for, because afterwards I didn't feel confident, peaceful, hopeful, and like a gift to the world. And so even in my own heart, I know that wasn't what I was looking for, and yet I don't know any other option. I say all this because what's amazing is when God enters the world in Jesus, the first words out of his mouth in the Gospel of John, so he's here to heal us, and by heal, I mean restoration on the deepest level. He's here to awaken these desires in you. He wants you to talk to him about it, what it looks like in your life. Because his first question in the Gospel of John is not, why aren't you praying as much as I wanted you to? Or, how could you do that on Friday night? His first question is, what do you desire? That's the first question Jesus asks. First words out of his mouth in the Gospel of John. What do you desire? Another translation, what are you looking for? He's trying to awaken the hunger for Zoe life. Because that's the life he gives. That life in John 10.10, 10, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. He's not interested in you staying at home every Friday night, kneeling in the shrines, crypt church, hiding behind the pillar so when they lock up you can have a little private prayer time and all night long you do a vigil. You don't go out ever. That's not life to the full. That's I'm scared and so I'm going to hide. That's not freedom and power from God. But he begins with, would you at least tell me what you're looking for? Would you tell me what you're seeking? I have an intellectual hero. He died in 2014. He was this very, very, and this is self-described by him, very, very fat Puerto Rican priest. Right? And he taught right here in D.C. at the JP2 Institute, right on your campus over there. I don't know if it's over there. It could be over there. I have no idea where I am. Okay. And his name was Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete. I'm not going to get into it tonight, but he literally has visited me from the grave and all of his closest friends I've met. I've read every, he only wrote one book, but I've listened to every lecture, everything I can. He was friends with Pope John Paul II, but before he was a priest, he was a physicist. So science and religion can't go together, apparently, but in this man, they did just fine. 
and he was chain-smoking, disheveled, uh, but he knew he was a gift. There was no part of trying to impress or be perfect. Here's a good example. Pope John Paul II asked him and a legionary priest to come advise the Pope on a, on a topic. Now, you have to know legionary priests tend to be cassocks, cufflinks, perfectly coiffed hair. Their part in their hair is like done with a razor. It's like perfect. They're amazing. All right? I'm losing my hair, and these guys are getting all of it. I don't know how it works, but they're doing just fine. And this legionnaire goes and advises the Pope. So he's sitting down in the morning time with the Pope, and he goes, Holy Father, excuse me, I haven't slept well all night. To meet the successor of Peter is unbelievable. And he opens up this leather-bound thing and gives it like two pages of typed-up notes, perfectly done, and all these things. He goes, and the Holy Father says, Thank you very much for your service to the church and taking time. Thank you. And he goes, Monsignor... And Monsignor has a black clerical shirt on that's covered in powdered sugar. And he was 10 minutes late to the meeting. And he goes, well, I want to begin by saying I slept great. And uh, I was late because I uh, left I, that donut shop right near the Vatican was so good, I went back for a second donut. He said, just in case Jesus came back before I could get that donut again. I wanted to make sure I got a second one in case they're not in heaven. And then he pulls out from his pocket a napkin, <laughs> unfolds it, and he wrote on pen his thoughts on the theology question the Pope asked him to advise on. He handed him the napkin and said, here you go. And the Holy Father said, thank you, Monsignor. <laughs> and he actually went with Monsignor's thing. So this is just a wonderful man, very free. Why did I tell this story? Because he was free. He knew his desires he knew what he longed for. He knew what he wanted. And he knew that Christ didn't shame him for that. There was a connection between the living, real presence of Jesus and his heart. But he wrote a little thing about the very question Jesus asked, what are you looking for? And this is what he wrote. This seems to be an important question because the rest of the gospel is a dance between the answer you give to that question and Jesus. Jesus identifies himself as that which fulfills those desires. And this is so key for you and me. But if we are not familiar with those desires, or haven't really thought through them, then we cannot even recognize the gift that Jesus is offering Like if you and me have no idea what's going on in our hearts, and Jesus is like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way of life that leads to fulfillment. I am the truth that will set you free from all the lies about your goodness, value, dignity, and future. I am the life you're seeking. And we're like, I didn't even know I was seeking a life. I was always told by religious education people, maybe even some priests, that like, no, no, the goal is knowledge. i got to get all the right teachings and then everything will be fine. I didn't know desires had something to do with it. And so what did our Christianity look like for a lot of us? We had Christianity here. All the right teachings, our parents sometimes are very, very proud of us. And it's not a bad thing. We need right teachings. If you're dating someone, you better know their birthday, right? The knowledge matters. Right. This is important. So we got all the right teachings and we even had correct religious practices. But guess what? What, came, what made us come alive, what spoke to our hearts, what we loved was over here. And they never touched. 
Maybe you love basketball. Maybe you love dance. Maybe what you're majoring in, you've never even talked to Jesus about why you like it and that you like it. And maybe as you share it with him, his light shines in your heart and you realize, I actually don't like it and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a junior and I don't know what's happening. I went to seven undergraduate colleges, so I know. I was the king of FAFSA. The most amazing thing is that over there isn't even the real world. This is. And when God came into the world, Jesus said, what are you looking for? What are you desiring? What are you seeking? What makes you come alive? What do you do with those moments where you feel loved and seen? What do you do with the moments where you hope to be loved and seen and you weren't and it hurt? Have we ever gone to prayer to let Jesus speak into those things? So how does Jesus usually awaken our hearts? By threatening us with hell. I'm just kidding. That's not how that works. Our God asks us questions. God of the universe invites you to a very beautiful thing called conversation. Adam and Eve sinned. First sin. What is God's response to their sin? He doesn't isolate them. They do that to themselves. He doesn't send them to their room because they're bad. He doesn't reduce them to their mistakes. He asks Adam a question. Adam, where are you? Now this is the God of the universe. It's not like, I just left him behind the tree a minute ago. Where did this guy, he's always so sneaky. It's an invitation for Adam to recognize his whole life and realize, this is not the goodness I had a minute ago because I didn't trust that God was a loving father and I tried to find fulfillment on my own and now I'm just, I'm, I'm alone, I'm away from her, I'm hiding and I put fig leaves on my tender parts. And if you've ever seen fig leaves, uh, they're very prickly and very hard leaves. It's not very comforting. <laughs> Which is what happens when we try to manage our own sin. We hurt ourselves more. Adam, where are you? And this is what he says. It might be the most honest statement in all of Scripture, in my opinion. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. I was afraid, back to fear, because I could be seen and I did not think I was good anymore, so I hid. And God drawing him into conversation, the implicit message is, is I still think you're worthy of conversation with God. He's rehabilitating his dignity. Another question. Haggai's in the desert. God sends an angel. The angel says this to Haggai. Where did you come from, and where are you going? A powerful questions. Like, where did you come from? I came from Maryland. No, I know, that's very sweet. I know, a lot of you came from Maryland. Okay. Where did you come from? Do you recognize that you came from God? 
Or has our culture evangelized you more, telling you you're a random collection of molecules that's no real reason why you're here? But why are you so sad? Be happy. It's kind of odd, right? Our culture tells us, you're, we don't know why you're here, just a random collection of molecules. Then why are you so sad and struggling with meaninglessness all the time? You're good, you're fine. It's like, well, I, you just said I'm random, I have no purpose. Once I'm gone, I'm gone, it doesn't really matter. Right beforehand, I got to be in some sort of secret green room they put me in. I found out Pope Benedict was in that same room. I know, right? I know, me and the Pope. <laughs> and uh, Pope Benedict said this, You are not a coincidence. Each one of you is the result of an intentional thought and a choice by God. St. Paul in the book of Ephesians says this, you are God's, sometimes it says handiwork, which you're like, all right, that's a weird Bible word. In Greek, it's poem. You're his poem. You're his song. You're his artwork. Have you ever seen an artist be done painting and how they look at their work? It's never with arrogance and, (laughs) look what I did. (laughs) It's always with this great awe and reverence at the beauty they're beholding. Where did you come from? Where are you going? And the prophet Isaiah God asked, through the prophet Isaiah, God asked, what more could I have done for you? Meaning, he know Israel was rebelling and struggling, and he just asked them, like, tell me, is there something more I could have done for you? He's inviting us to share our heartache, to open up our longings, our disappointments. Jesus comes, what are you looking for? Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? He asked the guy who's for 14 years has been like trying to get into the pool of Siloam and he can't get in. And every time he's like, every time I go, someone gets in the way. And you're just like, for 14 years, are you even trying? And uh, Jesus says, do you want to be well? And he does and Jesus heals him. But let me give you permission to tell him no. You don't need right answers. You need vulnerability with Jesus. You're not getting a theology grade from Jesus. It's like if you're like, imagine you're dating someone and they're dating you long enough to know when you're not doing well. And they're like, hey, you doing okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. Okay. (laughs) Well, apparently we're not going to have any sense of connection tonight because you're a liar. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, you are, but yeah. (laughs) But that's what happens. Relationship breaks down immediately when we start hiding when we start pretending. Do you want to be well? No. Jesus, I don't, I don't want to go to Mass on Sunday. It's boring. It's lame. Parents aren't here. They don't know. It's good. Good. Let them know. At least start there. So as Jesus asks questions to us, see, what he doesn't do is shame us. What he doesn't do is pressure us. What he doesn't do is force you to be a good boy or girl. He already thinks you're wonderful. By us sharing with him, it creates intimacy. It creates communion 
with the life and love that we've actually been seeking. One of my heroes, Pope St. John Paul II, I'm gonna, it's a very long quote, so I'm just going to break it down in three little parts. Pope John Paul II wrote this, and it's super, super important because uh, it's my favorite quote, so now it's important for all of you. Okay? So in the first document he wrote, which I can never pronounce the Latin the right way, but let's just go with uh, Redemptoris Omenis. Was that anyone out there? Everyone thought I did a great job. Good. Okay. It's in paragraph 10. I know tonight you're going to be up all night looking for it. You'll be fine. But he says, if you wish to understand yourself thoroughly, and not just in partial, superficial, illusory standards. So stop right there. Like, do you really want to know that who you are as a person? Like, that's really big right now. It's like, I'm just trying to find myself right now, so I'm just going to take a few days off and kind of spend some time. It's like, oh, great, okay. He's like, do you really want to know who you are in the deepest levels? Not just some surface thing, not a political category, not what someone else tells you. But like, who are you? unrepeatable. Like, do you want to know that? He says, you must draw near to Christ so he can speak to you. Enter into him with all of yourself. Even with our weakness and sinfulness, draw near to Jesus. This is a beautiful line because we kind of sometimes, if we do go to confession, we kind of spiritually and emotionally hold our breath until we get to the confessional. And then we go, okay, now I'm allowed to pray again because now I'm a good boy or good girl again. Biggest lie. Big, big lie. The moment you sin, Jesus there saying, I never wanted this for you. I'm not going anywhere because I love you. I know who you are. This sin does not define you. That very moment we can start talking to him. That very moment. We do not have to wait. Jesus doesn't hold a hammer or a gavel. He's not looking to call you guilty. He has a pierced hand to say, I bleed out of love for you. Would you let me love you? I know you. You are not bad. You are enough for me. I see you. I hear you. You are not hiding. You're not one of 300 in this room. You are you, and I'm already in you through the Holy Spirit. I love you. Grades do not define you. Degrees do not validate you. Parents' approval does not approve you. You are already approved and loved and good. Enjoy the freedom of the truth. I made you and I don't make junk. John Paul continues. If this profound process takes place within each one of us, it will bear fruit not only of adoration of God, but also at deep wonder at yourself. We always thought, well, if I go close to Jesus, then I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm a Jesus freak now, and i got to just tell everyone how great Jesus is all day long. He says, you will be in awe of how good God is to you, but you'll also be in awe at who am I? He continues. You will notice how precious you are in the eyes of the Creator. He quotes scripture. You gained a great Redeemer. 
He gave His Son that you would not perish but have life. You are precious in My eyes and honored, and I love you. You are very good. These are the words from Scripture. And then this is why I set this whole up. This is John Paul II. In reality, the name for that deep amazement at one's worth and dignity, what do we call that? He says, it's the gospel. You thought the gospel, and I thought the gospel meant Jesus died and rose, and I guess we all are supposed to tell everyone that over and over again until maybe it makes sense to us. The gospel is that you are amazing in God's eyes. The creator of the universe knows you by name and says, you are worth my son dying and rising because you are the one I want to celebrate and delight in for all of eternity. John Paul says, it is called the gospel or another name, John Paul says, is Christianity. Now let that sink in. Think of what all the false things we thought Christianity was but that it's a deep amazement and wonder at ourselves that we are unique, unrepeatable images of God that no sin can delete, but Jesus can complete, that that is true? Well, now we have something to offer people. Now we can go to every party and to every bar and say, I know what you're looking for. You're not bad. This just isn't going to give you what you need. This is never going to fulfill you. Go to any internet search you want. It's not going to do it. See as many guys or as many girls or drink as much as you want or, on the other side, be as judgmental as you want as all those weak sinners and close yourself off in religious superiority and judge and criticize and point fingers and feel great about yourself because, oh, at least I'm not like those people. Neither one will give us what our hearts are looking for because we want to be seen, known, and loved and make, a, make something beautiful out of ourselves. That's what Jesus came to do. Say, you don't have the power on your own, but I'm eager to share it with you so that through, with, and in Jesus, we can be a gift to others and show them their worth. He said, this is Christianity. This amazement at one's worth and beauty and goodness is the church's mission in the world and perhaps even more so in the modern world. I thought there was a different slide up there. I was going to quote it, but that's just my big face. (laughs) (laughs) This is the mission of the church in the world. I don't know about you, that's a lot more attractive and peaceful to me than having to get in fights with people. That my job is to every day be close enough to Jesus that I can hear him say, you are good and mine and I love you. And then through, with, and in him, I can look at others and say, I know you're struggling with that sin. Don't settle. You're worth so much more. The sacrifice is worth it because you're great and God has plans for you. This is our era of Christianity. We don't get to live in another one. God wanted you alive at this time, not by a mistake, but he wants you and I to do something beautiful in this world. What's more beautiful than divine love? He knew 
that we'd be in a post-pandemic world. He knew that people would love Pope Francis and hate Pope Francis. He knew that some people thought Joe Biden would save the world or Donald Trump would save the world. He knew that people thought LGBTQ was going to be confusing or they're going to be like, that's the answer. He knew that Black Lives Matters was going to be on a rise and then fall. He knew that you would be in Washington, D.C. at the most confusing, weird time ever. And he wanted you here. You're not a mistake. You are the result of a thought and the will of God the poet. And Jesus came into this world to awaken the place in you that can feel, hear, and enter into that good news known as your heart. So I want to end with this little scripture. This is a little scripture, so we're going to say a prayer beforehand so that God can really speak to us. This is from a saint, St. Paul. This is his vision and his hope for you. This is the scriptures, which means this is also the revelation of God's desire for you. And I want you to hear how much more glorious and beautiful and meaningful it is. And what must you mean to God if this is what he wants for you? Holy Spirit, we invite you upon us. Give us the grace of vulnerability. Help us to allow these words to speak to us personally so that we, like Mary and all the saints, can give our yes. Lord, I know you love even little whimpered yeses. You don't need big ones. And so help us to give even the littlest yes, because we're your children. This is St. Paul. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you, in accord with the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to accomplish far more than we could ever ask or imagine by the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and to Christ Jesus forever and ever. In the silence of your own heart, if you could just repeat this prayer after me, just in the silence of your heart. Lord Jesus, I give you permission to love me. Lord Jesus, I give you permission to draw closer to the places I'm afraid of and that I'm hurting from. Jesus, Show me that you can satisfy my hungry heart. Show me 
that my desires are beautiful and holy and that you can untwist them and guide them. Jesus, you have healed and transformed men and women of all generations. Raise us up, for this is our time and our era of the church. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.